praise your holy name, Lord. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to settle our hearts. I'm asking you to do something that just mere human words cannot do. I need your anointing to be on these words. I need the Holy Spirit to produce what is necessary in our hearts this morning, Lord. We are in a desperate situation. We have a desperate need to be awakened more and more to the reality of the days we are living in and how to respond to it. And we need your help to do that, Lord. We need the Spirit of God to quicken us. We need the Word of God to produce in us what only you can do, Lord. And I am looking to you, I am trusting you to let your Word have its way in every heart here this morning. Let it produce, I pray, Lord, what is needed Open up ears, open up eyes, open up the understanding, Lord, to hear your voice, to receive your word in meekness into our souls. We need your word in our souls. We need it to be rooted and grounded in our souls, Lord. We need it to produce what you want it to produce, Lord. So God, I'm asking for you to quicken your word to your servants. Quicken it, Lord. Let it bring life to the hearer. I pray, Jesus. Somehow get me out of the way, Lord. I yield myself to you. I yield this vessel to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, just have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Um, our text is going to be actually in Titus chapter 2, but I'm going to read a couple of verses, and I'm going to share a little bit of what I shared last week. I didn't bring my horn today, so you can rest assured. But the message is no less urgent. And you know, you struggle as a vessel that God chooses to use with sometimes the message he has to give you and you seek the Lord and you pray and you beg him to give you a word from heaven because you know that that's what we need. We don't need someone's opinions. We don't need uh, man's thoughts. And sometimes you feel like, God, really? Really, Lord? Again? And sometimes you almost feel bad giving certain words. Um, but you do it out of love, and you do it out of concern, and you do it because God tells you to, and because it's important, and because it really is uh, a mercy to us all, whether we understand it or not. Um, because God is always seeking out the best for us, always. He's a good father. He's a good father. He loves his children. He's not afraid to speak the truth in love, even though we might not like it for the moment. Now, I, I know it sounds like you're getting a, a Brussels sprout message, but it isn't that at all. There's a lot of hope in what God wants to say. There's tremendous hope in what God wants to say to you. But with that hope, we have to come into the reality of the the reality of what we're living in in this world. We have to come to our senses. We have to have our heads fully out of the sand and understand what is happening all around us so that we're not taken unaware, so that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. 
So that's why God keeps bringing this to bear to our hearts. Um, we are in a crisis. We are in a crisis. That's what I would call this message. We are in a crisis. All the alarms are going off. The captain's yelling, abandon ship. The house is on fire. There's no time to grab our belongings. There's an urgency. Matthew 24, 6 says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you're not troubled. So with all that, God's word to you is see that you're not troubled. Yes, there's a fire. Yes, the ship is sinking. But don't be troubled about that. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. These are only the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now there's a dual meaning here. He's speaking of something that was about to happen then, and he was also speaking of a future event. And 2 Timothy 3 also speaks to this time that I believe we're in now, we're, or we're at least getting closer and closer to the end of it. Know this, 2 Timothy 3.1, know this, that in the last day, perilous times will come. Crisis. There will be crisis upon crisis upon crisis upon crisis upon crisis. Men's hearts will be failing them. All these things, I'm sorry, um, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, brutal, Despises of good, haters, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, it's a certainty, will suffer persecution. Evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And if I could say it this way, it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. It's like a woman giving birth. The birth pangs are getting closer and closer and closer. We visited with Josh and Samantha, and they had a pretty traumatic birth experience. Very painful, very long. Josh was funny. He said when it started, he said, that's a different Samantha. I'm sure the ladies that have had children, like, that's someone different. Um, but she said, it was so sweet, and she was holding the baby. She said, as painful as it was, and I knew as those contractions were getting closer and closer, it was getting harder and harder. Once I saw his face, I said to myself, I would do this again because of the joy and so you understand, things are going to get harder. Things are going to get worse. The, the birth pangs are getting closer and closer, but we have something to look forward to. And when we see him, when we see his face, it's going to be all right. And we won't have to go through it again. It'll be done, finished. The completion of our salvation will come to its climax. Hallelujah. 
See, there's a, I'm telling you, there's a lot of hope in this message. If we could just get our eyes on it. We wouldn't be weighed down, so we wouldn't be bogged down. We wouldn't be overcome by the sorrow and the hopelessness that, that is in this world. It's a heavy thing to bear. Jesus was a man of sorrows, but yet he had a joy inside. He saw the end. It, it drove him through life. But he was a man of sorrows, and I feel like that most of the time. Most of the time. It's, it's not really like depression. It's a sorrow. It's a heaviness. Just knowing and understanding the little bit I know of all the pain and all the suffering, all the things that the curse has brought about in this world. Sometimes it feels unbearable, but yet it's only a fraction, not even worthy to be compared to what God sees and feels. The groanings, that's the groanings. And so it produces something in you. Jesus, Jesus, come, Lord. I just, I can't wait any longer, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. I can't wait for that day when there's no more tears, sorrow, crying, death. All the things, the hopelessness that is still in this world that so many are suffering under. I told Rose the other day, we were talking, I said, I don't know how people do it without Christ. I would have ended it long ago. I was thinking about that while we were worshiping. How many right now are, are thinking about taking their life or taking their life because they see no hope, that they're weighed down by all the crisis that this world brings with the curse. And God, I pray for them now. God, somehow bring light into their darkness, Lord. I remember feeling that hopelessness, that emptiness, not wanting to live, Lord. I remember what that felt like. It's still there even today, but I have you, Lord. If, if, if my hope was only in this life, Lord, I wouldn't be able to make it. But Lord, how many out there, how many young people right now, Lord? They're so hopeless, Lord. They don't see any point. God, have mercy on them. God, reach into their darkness, Lord. Send somebody to them, Lord to share that there is good news. There is, Lord. There really is good news in the midst of all the darkness and pain, Lord, because you made a way, God. You did something about it. But so many don't know, Lord. They don't understand. So, God, I pray today, somehow, Lord, you would reach them. They're all around us, God. They're empty. They're like walking tombs, Lord. God, please come to them today. Have mercy on them, Lord. Bestow grace upon them just like you did for us, Lord. Have your way, God. Have mercy on their souls, Lord. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I shared uh, 10 indicators last week, and it really is just so many more that show us the time is near. And we live in a world that is just in the midst of so many crises when you think about it. I mean, it can almost be overwhelming when you do think about all the crises that are going on. But I wanna say today, God's grace has provided an answer. For every crisis that is happening right now all over this globe, there's an answer. God made a way. And I want to just define that word crisis to you so we understand a little bit what I mean when I say that. It's a situation that is extremely difficult. 
It's when there are many problems. It's a situation when a time of intense difficulty, trouble, danger are present or looming. It's a state of feeling. It causes confusion, anxiety, to the degree that formally successful coping mechanisms fail us. Ineffective decisions and behaviors take their place. That's the perplexity we are seeing in the world today. As a result, the person in crisis feels vulnerable, anxious, afraid, sometimes angry, guilty, hopeless, helpless. Can anyone relate? There's hunger. There's a hunger crisis in our world. 45 million people are starving right now. 45 million not knowing when they'll eat. Little children dying. There's conflict. There's more active conflicts than there ever has been in the world going on right now. We talk about climate change. I think it's just God shaking the earth and um, the earth and the, the signs and the heavens and the earth. Yeah, it's going to change. Things are changing. There's judgment coming on this world. We have economic crisis. We're in the midst, but there's a greater economic crisis that people are very concerned about. We get a little taste of what happens in these crises. We see it in the 1929 crash, men jumping out of windows just because they lost money. What will happen when the whole world's economic system utterly fails and crashes? Chaos, a crisis, a crisis that we don't even understand will be upon us. Disease, right? We're still dealing with COVID. Now they're saying there's another one coming. How do they know that? I got to be careful what I say. They'll take the video down. Lawlessness, there's such civil unrest. Child trafficking, I mean drugs. It goes on and on and on and on. How do we respond to all this? What do we do? Well, one of the ways to understand and to know how to respond is to really understand, even if right now, man somehow could fix those things, we'd still be living under a crisis. And really, the crisis we're living under is causing all the other ones that are happening and increasing all over the world. And that's what I want us to understand today. As believers, when we are born again, we come to understand that the whole world that we were once living in a crisis, and we're still, as long as we're on this earth, we are living in one of the worst crises that has ever happened or ever will happen that actually caused God to have to send his son to the earth and die for it to make a way out of it. And the importance of living in the reality of that. This isn't our home. This is not a safe place. This is not where we find comfort. We are living in a crisis. The building's on fire. The ship is sinking. This is not the place where we take our ease, where we try to not think about it. We have to live in the reality of it. We have to. The fall of man created a perpetual crisis. And it will last until sin has been put down and Christ reigns over a redeemed and restored world. We read about in Revelation, there'll be a time when it's over. There's no more tears. 
No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. It's coming. It's coming. That's our hope. That's our hope. And when we look at like Romans 1, we understand what we're seeing. It's just the result of the fall of man saying, you will not rule over me. Rejecting God, suppressing the truth of God. That is at the root cause of every crisis we can imagine. If only Adam and Eve could have seen the consequences of their rebellion, where would we be? The fall was so devastating, it affected us morally, intellectually, psychologically, spiritually. It created a physical crisis. It even affected the whole of creation is affected by the fall. It says in Romans 8 that the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. So the earthquakes, the hurricanes, the weather, all that, it's birth pangs. That's what it is. And then in 2 Peter, it says in chapter 310, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Sin is so wretched that God has to destroy his creation. And he has to destroy not just creation, but those who have not taken what he has provided to escape the fire that is coming. That grieves his heart. That does not bring joy. It grieves him. It grieved him so much. It was part of the compassion that compelled him to send Jesus to rescue us out of this fire that is coming. We have to get our minds around just how wretched sin is and what it forces God to do. In Genesis 3, 7 through like Genesis 4:24, we see all the consequences of sin, all the crisis that came out of that, the fall, right? They lost their innocence, guilt, fear came in, shame, emotional pain, victimization, blame sh shifting, verbal abuse. We had our first dysfunctional family, physical suffering, role dysfunction, job stress, rejection, separation from God, anger, depression, jealousy, sibling rivalry, murder, grief, and the love of the truth went to the love of lying and believing a lie. But worst of all was the soiling and the staining of the glory of God, his image that he created man in. James 1.15 says, when desire has conceived and it gives birth to sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. And God told Adam and Eve, when you eat of it, you will surely die. See, that's our problem with sin. The devil says, will you really die? Isn't that what grace is for? So you can just go on sinning? No, if you go on sinning, unrepentant, you will die. You will face the fires of hell. To God's grief. Because he stretched out his hand, he stretched out his hand, he stretched out his hand, but you would not. 
So the human race basically lies in ruin. Spiritually, morally, physically. Just look at history. Just read the newspaper. Right? It shows us the world is in ruin. Humanity is in ruin. Tozer said this, and I agree. To me, it has always been difficult to understand Christians who insist upon living in the crisis as if no crisis existed. They say they serve the Lord, but they divide their days to leave plenty of time to play, to loaf, to enjoy the pleasures of the world as well. They are at ease while the world is burning. They can furnish many convincing reasons for their conduct. Even quoting scripture, if you press them a bit. I wonder whether such Christians actually believe in the fall of man. We are in a crisis. We are in a crisis. So how do we respond? So let's look now at Titus 2. We're going to learn from these verses how to respond. We're going to see, really, it's by the grace of God. And because of the grace of God, we can respond to the crisis. And we can offer it to others. So I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hallelujah. This is like really good news. You know, in all that stuff I just shared, all the, the sorrow, all the things caused by the fall, in the midst of all that, God had a plan that he even spoke about when it first occurred. And he said, his, 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 uh, he shall bruise his head and then he will bruise his heel, talking about Jesus and the devil. The devil will be fatally wounded and Jesus would be wounded but not fatally and it was speaking of the Messiah to come the grace of God that brings salvation to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age or I could say in the present crisis Looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So God's answer to this universal crisis is grace that brings salvation. That's the first thing. So again, there's good news. There's good news, but it's not good news if you don't understand the bad news. So I'm sorry, I had to give you the bad news. And there's still bad news that's going to happen in the world, but there's good news. And that really is what we need to be focusing on, the good news. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, what you see is Jesus Christ is the theme and the gospel. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. The whole thing. The whole of scripture, we see the gospel all intertwined through there and Jesus Christ and him crucified from the beginning all the way to the end. So that tells me that is something we should be majoring on just like Paul did, right? Because it's the answer. It's the only way we can deal with the crisis for ourselves personally, but also it's the only answer we have to offer to others that are still in the crisis, that don't know there's a way out. 
That's why we're here. And we see a picture of it in Romans 5. Verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in, the, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. That is pure, unadulterated grace. We did nothing. God did everything. It's by grace we're saved, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. God was moved with compassion. God made a way. Grace. Hallelujah. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. The fire that's coming. There's a way of escape. There's a way out. It's Jesus. For if we were enemies when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, Adam, the curse, everything we see, the crisis entered through one man. Verse 18 says, one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The whole Old Testament is saying, it's Jesus. There's something coming. It's Jesus. You can't do this. There's no way you can save yourself. All pointing to Jesus. But where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So that sin reigned in death. Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Now, what we're going to see in these next few verses, that grace isn't just unmerited favor. Grace is so tremendous. It is so worthy, valuable. It actually teaches us. It teaches us how to live while we're in this world, while we're still in the crisis. Okay, and so we're going to learn some things here. This is what we need to be doing. First, we got to get our heads out of sand. We got to understand the Christ. But this is what we should be doing. If you want to know, so what do I do? This is what you should be doing. Okay? The first thing is deny. It teaches us that we are to not to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It teaches us we should live a certain way. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And the verse after says we also need to be looking. So those three things, okay? So first, deny. Deny what? Deny ungodliness. What is ungodliness? It's everything that is contrary to God. Everything. Anything that is contrary to God and to God's word that we are doing is ungodly, okay? Simple definition. Anything we fail to do that is our proper responsibility towards God, that's ungodliness. So God's grace prepares us for something. You know what it prepares us for? To be a true disciple of Jesus, to become like our teacher. That's what the gospel does. It changes us. Luke 6, 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So how does that happen? Osmosis? No, we have to submit. 
We have to relinquish. We have to deny self. We have to deny the flesh. We have to come under Christ. That's what it means to make him Lord and Savior. It means he's ruling and reigning in our lives. We're coming under his discipline. We're coming under his correction. We're learning of him. Being a disciple of Christ brings us to the day-by-day realities, to terms like discipline, rebuke, correction, hardship. But yet it's how God matures us and makes us more like Jesus. And it really is what we're going to need in the crisis. We have to mature. We have to mature. God is, is in the process of making us perfect and complete, so we're not lacking anything. Hebrews 12 talks about a little bit of this process. And, and this is for anyone that calls himself a follower of Jesus. If this is not your experience, you need to seriously question whether or not you're even his. It's just the way it is. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you are rebuked for him, for whom the Lord loves he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. And I'll just say scourging isn't pleasant. That's not a pleasant word. Um, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and you're not sons. So there it is. If you don't want God dealing with you, if you don't want God's discipline in your life, or if you don't even believe that God would do that, then you're serving a different God. You're not serving the God of the Father. You have made a God of your own imagination. Because the God of the Bible loves you. And he understands how to get you from here to there. And he has provided a way to do that. But you have to be with him. You have to be of him. You have to be abiding in him. And so he brings discipline. He brings correction. He brings instruction into our lives so that we'll learn and we'll become more and more like him. He calls us to enter his yoke, to follow him. He calls us to deny ourselves, to forsake our lives in this world if we want to follow him. And it's all part of his discipline. It's all part of him refining us. Now, No chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God is trying to train us now. Why? So that we can endure. Submit to that training. Why why do you think the church is such a mess in, in so many ways? It's because a lot of it has to do with this. It's because it's popular to preach a painless Christianity. Painless. There's no cross involved. I just kind of include God in my life. I go to church. But don't, don't, don't touch those things in my heart that I treasure more than Christ, that I live for, that I really... Uh, spend my time on that I really pursue. Don't try to correct me. Don't try to deal with sin in my life. That's my business. A crossless Christianity. We're told next we're to deny worldly desires. These are basically affections, appetites that men in the world are governed by. They just live that way, and most of us live that way, governed by our fleshly desires, right? Pursuing the things of the flesh. We didn't know any better. Not so if we've come to Christ. 
he begins working on that. I told Rose, I said, there is such a benefit, you know, when you immerse yourself and you spend a lot of time in the word of God and you're just meditating, you know, on the crisis and the answer and the hope and the gospel and all that. I told her the benefit for me that it has been of late is like, I'm not even trying. I'm just losing interest in things that were interesting. It's just going away. It's like, I don't, I'm even not interested. I don't even care about it. So there, there's something to that. And that's why God tells us to do it. Um, I'll get into that a little bit. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to want to do this, okay? But deny worldly desires. Jesus said, right, in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, they're always with us in the crisis. They're going to be here as long as we're in this world. It's part of the crisis. But wherever the grace of God comes effectively in a human heart, where it's working what it's supposed to, it causes the man, it causes a person to deny those worldly desires because they've come into something greater. They, they've seen something more worthy, more worth, or worth more. So much so, it's worth forsaking everything this world has to offer. Ephesians 5 um, kind of speaks to the next thing we're to do. Live. How? Sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Again, if the grace of God is in you, it's meant to be lived out. It should affect your life. It should affect the way you live on a daily basis. So, First of all, we should be living every day in the soberness, in the alertness, in the reality of the crisis we're in. Ephesians uh, says, circumspectantly, understanding the crisis we're in. Ephesians 5.15, see that you walk circumspectantly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled in the Spirit. And I will just say here, watching and praying is such a vital part in this. And, and if you are not praying, if you are not redeeming your time, I heard it said this way uh, um, by someone years ago, you will be blown into hell. The current of this world will blow you into hell if you're not redeeming your time, if you are not sober and alert. It reminds me of someone in a flood, flash flood, flash flood, and they're, they're trying to grab all their belongings. They're not alert. They're not aware of what's coming, and all of a sudden it comes, and they're swept away. Beware that you're moved away from your steadfastness. Beware. Be sober. Again, redeem your time through much prayer, time in God's word, walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. The more the crisis increases, the more we need to be in prayer, the more we need to be redeeming our time. That's what's been pressing upon my heart. I still waste a lot of time. I still waste time on, on things that really don't matter. And there's an urgency. Do you have an urgency in you? Is, is, is God been shaking you? Has God been speaking to you about just getting more serious, just redeeming your time more for him? I hope he is. Because we need to live soberly, especially now. And then it says we need to live righteously. And, and this really is just our proper duties to our fellow man. And, and I'm just going to share something. Uh, 
I couldn't sleep last night. I put on a David Wilkerson message, and the title was The End of All Things. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll listen to a little, and I'll fall out, because that's what usually happens. I, I was awake the whole time. Um, and he came to one part, and he was referencing, I think it was First Peter 4, where it says, the end of all things are at hand, therefore, blah, blah, blah. I forget what it exactly said, but basically, he mentions a few things, but he says, but above and beyond all things, put on love. And he started talking about not forgiving people, holding grudges in the church. And he was basically saying like, if you're holding a grudge, if, if you can't let go of something, that is going to be the very thing that hinders the Spirit of God working in, in your life and God being able to give you and anoint your life. It will hinder a whole church. He said God will not move in a church. If you're crying out for God to move, but there's unforgiveness and people are holding grudges at all, God will not move in that church. It was very powerful, and when he shared it, I got to fix this. It's kind of bugging me. When he shared it, I got shook inside and extremely convicted and people were popping in my mind. And, and I almost got on my knees uh, by the bed, but I just started repenting. Oh, God, Forgive me, God. I, I release anything I feel anyone's done. I went down the list, man, and I was like, God, I don't want nothing in my heart. I'm not going to talk about it no more. And he, he was saying, yeah, you know, we'll go, did you hear what so-and-so did, you know? And I'm just telling you this so you know how to pray for me. We shouldn't even be talking about what we feel like someone did to us. We need to bring it to God. We need to forgive him, and, and we need to let it go. If we don't, it will hinder. Because above anything, we need to put on love. We need to cover where we're able to cover what we feel like someone's done to us. So I wasn't going to share that, but maybe that's for someone here today. Just let it go. Let it go. Let God deal with it. You forgive. You forgive as God has forgiven you. You release them from the debt you feel like maybe they owe you. You'll be free if you do that. God will work in your life. God will bring healing into your life if you do that. God's anointing will come upon your life if you do that. Lastly, we're to live godly. Basically, it's the opposite of denying ungodliness. You know, all things contrary to his word, anything we would fail to do in our pro uh, responsibility towards God, we do the opposite. Every person that has the grace of God in him should think of God in every thought, in every action. I think Adam said the other night, uh, we should always be asking ourselves this question, God, what do you think? What do you think about what I'm doing right now? What do you think about what I'm watching right now? What do you think about what I just said to that person? What are you thinking about? What do you think about it, Lord? Doing everything to honor him, to be pleasing in his sight. Doing everything he commands me to do in his word. And then... Lastly, look, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it's funny. It's, I want to be careful how I say this, but like if I wrote the Bible, I would have put that first. But obviously God knows what he's doing. But what I want to say is this. That's the key to everything else. You know, because it's the key to our faith. And we see it in, in the whole list there in Hebrews 11 of the heroes of faith. They were all looking. They were all looking. I heard it in the testimonies of, from the voice of the martyrs. They were all looking at something different. They, they lived above this world somehow. They were looking. They didn't count their lives dear. They, they understood the world for what it was because they were looking somewhere else. 
looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should be the great hope and longing of every believer. It's part of the groaning. It, it should be there. So what's the trouble? Why isn't it? Why, why don't we live in, in that expectancy? Why don't we live like Paul, caught between two desires, one to be with him, but yet if needful? What is it? What hinders that in us? You know what? We're too comfortable here. It's plain and simple. We're way too comfortable here. But it's on fire. The house is on fire. And we're sitting on the couch. I just want to lay back 10 more minutes. Would you do that if you were in a house and it was on fire? You know, if you were on a ship and they're yelling, abandon ship and the water's coming up, would you get on? Is that the time to get on the lounge chair or take a dip in the pool? Or go to the buffet and gorge yourself? One last gorge. Or would you be in the lifeboat already and helping others in the lifeboat? See, that's, if we looking, if we understand, that's what we'd be doing. We wouldn't be doing anything else, really. We got to get our eyes on where our true hope is because God's bullhorn is it's sounding. Like that horn I was, he, the Spirit of God is yelling right now, abandon ship. Do you hear him? I don't know how much louder God has to scream, but all I know is you don't want to wait until the ship goes down. And this is why he gave himself for us, 14, verse 14, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You want to know why you're here? God's redeemed you. And his desire is to take your vessel, to make you a vessel of honor, to purify you, to cleanse you, to prepare you for his use. But we have to want that. We have to participate on that. We have to answer the call to that. That's what's happening right now, I'm telling you. That's what a remnant is. They're aware, they understand. Just like in the prophet, the days of the prophets, they're sighing over the abominations. They see the crisis. When others are yelling peace and safety, they're weeping. They're weeping, they're grieving, they understand the reality, they understand what's coming. They're trying to warn others, but they're mocked, they're laughed at. They're scorned. But yet it's God, it's God's heart in them. It's God's burden, it's God's arm reaching out. It's God's voice calling. It's not a person, it's God himself, because he's compassionate, he loves people, he loves souls. And he'll call to the last minute, to the last second, he'll get every last soul he can. And that should be our heart. That's what we should be living for, like D.L. Moody said. He's given us a boat, and we should be getting as many in as we can. He gave himself for that reason. And that's why we're still here. We should be a people striving together for the gospel's sake. That's why we're here. Men are lost all around us, but they're not abandoned by God. He left his church here. He left his people here to proclaim the good news, to lay their lives down, to forsake the pleasures of this world. We've already been saved. We need to save others. That's why we're here. Philippians 1.27 says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what God's after. That only comes through people that are willing to be totally crucified, who, who are willing to f totally forsake their lives, that are willing to seek the face of God together, who are allowing the spirit of God to bring about what only God can. That's where the blessing of God lies. We read about that, I think it's Psalm 133. The unity of the spirit. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. We should not be afraid of what we're seeing. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yes, there's a crisis. Yes, it's gonna get worse. Don't be afraid. We should not be afraid in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. In other words, their judgment's coming. They're gonna be dealt with if they don't repent. No one's getting away with anything. But of you, salvation, and it's from God. For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now you hear in me. What was that conflict? He shared it a few verses prior to that and I shared it with you already. What is that conflict? For me to live is Christ. I know where my hope is. My life is now with him. I'm already there. I'm already with him in my heart, in my mind I'm already there. I'm already living for that kingdom. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what if I lose that? So what if I'm persecuted? So what if I die? What does it matter? It's actually my gain. I get to be with him. Again, that's what those martyrs have. They get it. They're not comfortable here. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. That's all he cares about. I want fruit for God. Anytime I, I want to be fruitful for God. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Oh, I just want to be with that. I just want to see him. I can only imagine what it'll be like, right? That song. When I see him, I just want to see him. That, need, that needs to be so much more real to us. It, it just does. Which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Rose and I have these conversations a lot. And we'll say to one another, I know, but God's got something for us to do. We're having some neighbors over tonight. We're not done yet. There's still people. They need to know. They're dealing secretly with the crisis. They might put on a good face. They might act like everything's fine. But inside, there's no peace. There's trouble. There's this maybe hopelessness. There's despair. And they need to know. There's an answer. His name's Jesus. So speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. The world is in a crisis, people. We gotta fully pull our heads out of the sand. I implore you, pull your head out of the sand, if it is. We're in a crisis and, and it's only gonna get worse. You know, I, I, I listen to David Wilkerson sometimes. He says, oh, they always call me a doom and gloom preacher. God bless them. They call Jeremiah that too. <laughs> Someone's got to say it. If they really care for you, someone's got to say it. 
We can't keep our heads in the sand. So what do we do? Do we build bunkers? Store up years of food, buy gold, store up weapons, hunker down? Now, I've, I have people ask me these questions, and I'll say, listen, there's nothing wrong with living sufficient. There's nothing wrong with preparing for disaster. Nothing wrong absolutely with that at all. But don't trust in that, and make sure if you're doing it, it's for other people. I think about what Melody shared in China, why they're wanting to do it. It's so people sharing the gospel have a place to stop and eat maybe and sleep for a night and then go on and share the gospel. Or even a place just to meet. But they understand, like, this isn't like where we just hunker down and somehow maybe get through. No, it's just going to get worse. And God's prepared works for you. He's got something for you to do. So I'm not saying don't do that, but that is not necessarily what God is telling us to do, is he? So we should be doing what's clear from Scripture. Our first duty is to make sure we've benefited from God's grace. That's the first business of the day. Um, I know most of you here but God knows you better than I do. It says the Lord knows whose are his. I don't. It's, that's not my job. But the Lord knows those who are his. So if you're not sure of that, if you're not sure that the grace of God is producing what you just heard, get in the lifeboat. Respond to the bullhorn. Humble yourself. Receive with meekness the message of the gospel. Jesus made a way of escape for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus shed his blood to cleanse you, to take away the sin that condemns every person on the planet that lives under the curse that will one day die and suffer a second death there's a way of escape so that's the first group the second group are those who have benefited from God's grace what are we to do it's simple deny live and look more and 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 more. Deny, live, look. And then lastly, be about your father's business. And live with Paul's passion. Live with that passion every day. Let God cultivate that passion in your heart. I just want to be with you. I just want to see your face. Jesus, come. But Lord, if I'm here today, what do you want me to do? Who do you want to send me to? How do you want to use me, Lord? I'm yours. I'm your servant. I'm your servant while I'm here, Lord. I want to do the works you've prepared for me. I'm your servant, Lord. Let's all stand And I'm going to read this verse to you in closing in John 14, verses 1 through 3. God wants you to hear this today. Let not your heart be troubled by all this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Is there someone here you, you want to believe in God? You want to put your faith in God? Just come down here. Is your heart troubled? Did what you heard today trouble you? Are you troubled? Do you not have the rest? Are you unsure? Come, come down. Believe in God. Come down to this altar right now. Believe God. Believe also in me. Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe 
and the one who made a way out of this crisis, the one who will spare you from the fire to come. Believe in him. Don't put him off another day. Any online, don't put him off another day. He's calling you. But you have to surrender everything to him. He's not offering you a, a, a get, get out of jail ticket from hell. It demands everything. It demands you to be crucified with him. It demands you to, to lay down your life at his feet. It demands you to repent. Every man must repent. It demands you to repent and to receive forgiveness for your sins. And then it also demands you to give yourself as a living sacrifice and to, to make him Lord of your life. Now, for those who know this or those that want to know this, Jesus says this to you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will. And I will receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be there also. Lord, I thank you that we can suffer now. We'll have all eternity to enjoy your presence, to enjoy the culmination of our salvation, the living hope. But Lord, in the meantime, Lord, I, I pray as your people you would give us eyes to see more clearly. You would help us to understand the reality of the crisis we're living in. Lord, that you would produce in us a willingness to deny, to live, to look at the things that matter, Lord, to, to allow you to use our lives in this hour like D.L. Moody said, to, to pull as many as we can into the boat, Lord. So I pray, Lord, even as we go from here, make this real. I pray the Holy Spirit would not give us rest. I pray the Holy Spirit would draw us. I pray the Holy Spirit would convict us. I pray the Holy Spirit would reveal the, the truths of your word would open up our understanding to, to know the reality of what we are living in, this crisis, but also the hope and the joy that is set before us, Lord, but also, God, that our lives might be lived in their fullest for your glory. And I'm trusting you to do that. I'm trusting you to do it individually for all of us and, and as a body, Lord. So we thank you, God, and may you use us in this crisis, in this hour, Lord, the way you're wanting to, Lord. We just, we say yes to you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace that has appeared to all of us. And we love you, God, and we look forward to the day we see you. In the meantime, Lord, we will be about your business. We will be sharing the gospel with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.